myself, I am not a, I'm not a leader on climate change. Um, I am a leader on gender equality. Um, and I've been working in the field of women's empowerment, women's advancement, um, enabling women to achieve success in areas of work in which they are underrepresented, where they may have missed out on prior education, or latterly with the UKRC, more in the fields where those women have in fact achieved a lot of prior education and are then um, no longer working in the fields that they've actually trained and qualified in. Um, and I think we'll be returning to that theme over, over the next few days um, more and more as we think about what it is that perhaps stands in the way of women's advancement to leadership, uh, not just in the areas around sustainable energy and climate change, um, but in other areas of research, business and so on. And so... Slight uh, technical problem, but I think it's solved. Are we there? So, yes, um, my, uh, my past work then has been more within the, the women's voluntary sector, if you like. Um, and now the UK Resource Centre enjoys, um, at least currently, and we hope for, for, for the good foreseeable future, um, the privilege of a contract from the UK government, the Department for Business, Innovation and Skills. Um, and it will be um, a key part of our work over the coming months to be continuing to convince the present government, the new government, um, about the continued importance of that investment in um, infrastructure support for um, pulling together initiatives and for taking forward direct delivery to continue to support women's representation in science, engineering, technology. If I want to move this on, do I press... Um, just the down button. Sorry. Oh, there. Okay, so UKRC's uh, stated mission then is, is here to improve significantly participation and position of women in, in these fields. And uh, we have recently, in fact, been undertaking a social return on investment analysis, which has been an interesting um, route for us to also think very much about how we demonstrate the value of the work that we do in supporting both individual women in their own careers, working with other organisations that um, either act as networking organisations or umbrella bodies for other initiatives to create gender equality, and working directly with employers or intermediary organisations such as research councils or um, the umbrellas that might support um, consortia of universities, for example, and what are the most effective levers and routes to actually create really the, massive, the most amount of impact um, for this kind of agenda. I have to say some of the most fulfilling work that we do is definitely that work with individual women where we can see the differences that have been made to the lives of individual women and particularly those women who might have left their their career paths in, in science at, a, at an earlier point and ended up working well below their qualification level um, and well below their, they were out of their interest sphere, if you like, and are then enabled to maybe return to those fields. So I was thinking about the themes of, of your conference, which are obviously really multifaceted and, um, and, and, and complex, really, to sort of put together. Um, and what is, um, what, is it, what is the challenge that, that you're actually discussing? Um, and I think it is about, to me it's about all of these things, I don't know if they peak in the way that they're shown on here, um, that actually the sort of sustainable growth that we're, that we're looking for um, is dependent on um, a whole range of new innovative capabilities um, fostered by leadership, talking in a way which actually looks differently at 
thinks differently, behaves differently in terms of levels of responsibility, both personal and corporate, and the ability to create uh, and uh, foster and, and, and have public trust. I mean, there's an awful lot of talk about the, the extent to which people trust science and scientists. Um, the public attitudes to science surveys are something which the government department are very keen to keep promoting, to say, oh, yes, it's changing, things are getting better. People feel that there's more tr- there is generally more trust. Um, would there be a greater degree of trust, we might ask ourselves, if that leadership looked significantly different, looked significantly more like the population that are being asked to put that trust, their trust in that leadership? Um, where, which thing drives what? Does the culture change um, come first, or does the culture change once so-called critical mass has actually been achieved? Um, there's been a lot of debunking of critical mass as a, as a theory for women's participation. There is, we, we hold very dear to the notion that diversity in leadership and in, in, in both private sector boards and in public bodies, that the sort of 30% rule would, does actually make a significant difference and that actually that is the point at which women cease to be, women and indeed other different peoples in, in relation to the norm of a group would actually cease to be seen as tokenistic and would be, would be able to kind of make a kind of collective, if you like, different impact. Um, on the other hand, I mean, there's an awful lot of debate also in feminist literature going back quite a long way about how no minority group or other group is obviously intended to have to act as a representative for, for themselves, if you like, or that women don't need to be seen to represent women. So we have obviously all, always got these kind of arguments to, to balance and think about in relation to how we put forward our arguments around diversity. Um, the issues about whether behaviour change in, in, in groups at whatever position in, in the organisation they inhabit is, um, is something that comes, is brought through that sort of difference of lived experience is another question which I'm sure you're going to be grappling with and how, whether the roles of adapting technologies, the integration in the curriculum um, that we want to see of the change, a changing approach, both in terms of content and the pedagogy, is the content, um, the way we talk then about putting the word environment in front of degree subjects, for example, and seeing if that changes the demographic of, of the participants, um, has, has had some impact, I think. I think we've all seen that. Certainly there are... Um, ways in which the discussions that we've been involved with, for example, in the London Engineering Project, um, where consortia of, of schools, further education colleges and universities have come together to think about how to increase recruitment to engineering, has, um, has illustrated that some of those truisms around women like to understand what something is for, they like to understand the applied usefulness of something, they've got to feel perhaps it's for a purpose, maybe a social good, um, does, does hold some, does, well, it, it's, it can help to attract more women, and it can help to just attract more people. Um, and I think maybe that's the direction that, that perhaps we are going in. So, I mean, another argument in the way we would link this from the UKRC's perspective is that the kind of sustainability argument, if you like, is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a thoroughgoing one, is a holistic one, and that the, sustainable, the sustainability Sustainable solutions for the planet and sustainable solutions in terms of the outcomes we want to achieve um, in, in terms of solutions for safe energy and for food security and so on 
will, will also need to be integrated with, with sustainable solutions about the way organisations work, the processes they use, and the way they work with their people. So it's sustainability of your workforce and your workforce supply and that talent pool and that potential that needs to be fully integrated. Um, does it actually make a difference? Do women... Is there something... You, the, the tables I was in this morning were, were, were going back and debating this hard, and um, I was conscious that, um, that some of those debates from, from when I sort of first encountered feminism, I suppose, in the end of the 70s, early 80s, were kind of, I was just being revisited. So, um, and what, what arguments do we have to make? I mean, in, in the way that through my career things have moved on, we've definitely moved all the way along into sort of being quite comfortable with business case arguments. To be honest, though, I don't care. If there was no business case, it would still matter to me uh, from the point of social justice and from the point of equality that women were given um, every opportunity and had every right to access any field of work that they want to and to ex excel and move to the highest levels in those fields. So, in a sense, try some of these arguments, you, we construct them, and some things are untested. They're untested because there haven't been enough women in such positions for us to see to what extent it truly makes a difference if more women were doing X, Y, and Z. Um, there's been a lot of discussion about the collapse of finance and banking, um, about whether layman sisters would have fallen over to the same degree or as quickly. Uh, I'm sure we're all probably wondering what BP would be doing if they had more women at the top um, and whether we would not have such a big or large hole in the ocean floor in the Mexican Gulf. I don't know. But um, the, the idea that we do bring diverse experience and perspective there and that there is some balancing factor about diversity and that, some, and that lived experience is part of that and that women gendered and biological, do live and experience as women um, in the main. But femininity and masculinity are social constructs, and we don't need to conflate um, those things too, too much, or we do end up in some difficult essentialist arguments about women needing to care for the planet, possibly, and women just being somehow a bit gooder than everybody else. So you, you, I doubt, I don't, I'm sure you will be talking about this. Um, what I think is of interest is that if we're moving towards multi, multi-discipline, trans-discipline, whatever the, the current words are, that ways in which things, solutions must be more integrated and are more complex, women, I guess, women are capable, certainly, and women's own, women do um, bring those solutions together. Are they more likely to do so than more men? I'm, I'm certain that, that there is something in how... Um, women's the, the style that is characterised as feminine management style, if you like, of seeking a greater degree of, of transformation and a greater degree of consensus building and collaboration and bringing together more multifaceted solutions, um, that that within the context of diverse teams can only be a better thing. Um, and the idea that the research is around the, the extent to which women are innately more interested in sustainability whether women are more other-oriented. I mean, again, I think this is socialisation, but um, th there are elements then showing us that in terms of both domestic, local, the, the local solutions of recycling and domestic behaviour, that women will be uh, participating more actively in those and are often more actively then engaged in other local and community activities. And that can be roots to enable women to then um, get more engaged in this agenda at higher levels. 
there'll be an interesting debate, which I, I, I won't attempt to start here, but whether, there's, whether women are, whether the women generally, whether the women you know, whether the women we all know, whether women in these situations will be more inherently risk-averse or, or risk-taking, and how that combines with um, these other concerns around the behaviour of diverse teams. I'm just putting the, out there, I don't, I don't pretend to have the, all the answers to this. You, can dis, you will be discussing it. Um, this slide, I think, doesn't give you quite the, um, the picture uh, that you need fully because obviously what it's not showing you are the kind of newer um, specific environmental management, environmental technology qualifications. But um, I think what it was intended to give you a picture of really is that um, there is a greater proportion of women um, in these subjects relative certainly to perhaps the, what we've talked, what I was mentioning earlier of the core engineering or physics and chemistry. Um, but what we do also still know is that taking subjects such as um, biosciences and biology, for example, where then we start out with the majority of women, certainly at undergraduate level, maybe over 60%. This is an aggregate of undergrads and postgraduates. So at undergraduate level, you'd have, I think, about over 60% now. Um, that we still, at this stage, as knowing that there are only 12% of women professors. And, and some will maintain that that's just a matter of the work through the supply. It's not. Um, that there are the reasons women f uh, are dropping away dramatically. That there are changes are happening, but it's very, very slow. Um, and the issues of culture and, and work-life balance and the expectations, particularly in academic careers, um, of the full-time delivery and the, that very male model of working are still, are still far too prevalent, which I'm sure you're all actually much more aware of than I am, probably. Um, this, then, is another little snapshot, and I'll try and be quick because I know we've not got much time, of the, um, the, the shift that is also slow to happen um, within the private sector. So, um, interestingly, what, 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 what this is trying to analyse is, that in last year's FTSE 100, the number of... The, the Cranfield do an analysis every year called the Female FTSE, which is a very useful publication... Um, and so within the tot totality of the female FTSE, there were 12.9 directorships held by women. And um, what we can see here is that the number within what we've sub subclassified as science, engineering, technology-focused um, companies is then a bit lower than that still. So that's 10.8. Um, and that, that is actually going up a bit. So in, um, in 2004, it was 8.4. Um, and that then, obviously, that's compared with the, the sort of non-set FTSE companies where it's 13.7 or nearer to 14%. Um, the number of executive directorships, so the, the majority of those directors are actually non-exec directors. The number of executive directors, you can see there, four. Four in 2004. Um, so... It's, it's not, they're not big numbers, are they? Um, and we certainly would support the voluntary commitment, uh, which Cranfield are calling for, and I think the, the FT themselves are also supporting, towards a 30% quota, a voluntary 30% quota for, um, for private boards, uh, for corporate, sorry, boards by 2020, which would be an increase of another 180 female directors and would be akin to the steps that have been taken in, in Norway, where they have seen success having made that quota commitment to achieve 40% on, on, on those boards. Um, and without the worries people had of the sort of terrible drop in quality of person that that would result in. And as we know, Norway's not as large a country as the UK. 
Um, so, I mean, I think this is just an example, really, of seeing that the supply, the, the, the FTSE report, that, that the female FTSE report also indicates quite clearly that the sort of what they term in many cases the marzipan layer of women who are stuck underneath a particular glass ceiling. I don't know if that's, sorry, that's a terrible mixed metaphor, but <laughs> marzipan under a glass ceiling, it's not a pretty image. Um, and, and, and how that group is actually, there are, there are clearly identified over 2,000 women that they would see as in that very direct supply up to these directorship positions. So there's something getting in the way. Um, sorry, this isn't, this isn't right as of a couple of weeks ago. I'm very sorry. I don't know why we, we, we will update this. Um, but the, th- and it's, it, the, three, it's the three major parties are so not showing the smaller parties, unfortunately. Um, but again, we can see that when, um, when statements are made, which is in some research that we looked at earlier, Norgard and York, 2005, it may be something you know, that nation states with a higher proportion of women in parliament are much more prone to ratify environmental treaties than other nations. Um, then, I mean, as well as for all the other reasons that we want to see larger proportions of women in Parliament, we know that um, that change is still very slow to be achieved. And certainly I'd imagine that most of you looking at the election debates this time actually felt we'd gone even further back into some completely cloned zone of uh, talking. The UKRC then, um, to be quick, and you can find out much more about us on our own website, which is on the, the cover sheet of my presentation, then as I say, works with both women and, and organisations, both corporate employers, higher education bodies. The range of services we offer is sort of roughly encompassed in this, um, this oval here. Um, and we do have a particular concern about the issues for women who are looking to return to set careers um, and for also for those seeking to advance to the top. And one of our most... Um, our kind of most effective, I think, publications is our Women of Outstanding Achievement Awards, where we um, both take some really brilliant, with a um, a marvellous photographer, Robert Taylor, some wonderful black and white large photographs of of Women of Outstanding Achievement through a nominations process, which are then housed within the corridors of power. So they're then placed either within the university or the professional body or other suitable place um, to to showcase that woman's achievement where she may well be the only woman then being visible on those walls. Um, So, and this is just to give you a sense of when, when we do work with individuals, the kind of sort of time spans we're talking about, really. Charlotte um, came to, came to uh, con- made contact with us um, in, I think, 2005 um, and got involved with a number of our programmes, has worked with us over several years, undertaken um, the, the interest here being that she is, of course, interested in um, renewable energy um, and so not only did she do the core programme of the Open University's T160 programme for returns to set, which was one of the things we were funding at that point, um, but then she did go on to, to reacquaint herself with her own core interests. I did a work placement, which has been a key thing about getting that experience back on your CV, um, and is now um, has secured employment then with that at the organisation that, that gave her the placement opportunity. Um, and that's a kind of typical kind of story for us, really, and the, the fact that it does take some time to, for those transitions back into employment to be made um, and to enable those women to then achieve their true potential. Um, similarly, here we, we have Anna Ferguson, um, who's now working, well, who who's work, went, came to us again through an event organised by 
the um, Northeast Petroleum Industry Cluster. So that's another example of working through others. Um, and has now returned to set employment at the New and Renewable Energy Centre. Catherine, I won't keep you on these because I know we're running out of time. So Catherine Richardson, um, you can look at these presentations again on the website. And then I wanted to draw your attention to someone who's not a direct beneficiary of our own work, um, Emily Cummins. Um, you've probably heard of her. She developed the, uh, I think, the award she's won recently, a very young woman, um, won awards for the... Um, sustainable fridge that she's used to, she uh, developed when she's working in Africa um, and is uh, obviously a dynamic and, um, and extremely ambitious and very capable young engineer. Although I think her original story was that she actually ended up on a business programme because she applied for an engineering course and wasn't selected for that in the first place. And so Emily, it was definitely going to be the, a leader of the future um, where it's quite evident that her commitment to sustainability is, is absolutely at the core of why she's what's driving her in her innovation and, um, and entrepreneurialism. And Barbara here is a woman who we featured as a, one of our Women of Outstanding Achievement who started out entered carpentry, doing a carpentry training course in a male FE, in an FE college with male tutors originally and found that to be a very unconducive environment and then was able to do an initial training on a positive action course back in the early 80s, which I would well remember those, uh, at Lambeth Women's Workshop um, in 1982 and has since gone on to develop this award-winning company called Amazon Nails um, and uh, which is not only now a di direct deliverer of sustainable housing and straw bale, straw bale housing and sustainable building solutions, um, but is also now under, undertaking educative work and programs to actually extend that message to others. So I think definitely um, somebody who's, who's leading her field and a very visible role model to other women. Uh, and then here you have a, f a few more of the few that, um, that I was sort of talking about earlier in terms of those... Um, inhabiting corporate positions. Dorothy Thompson, um, uh, in the black dress over on the left, is the chief executive of Drax. Um, the, the board of directors in the centre shows you Jan Brown. She's a finance director, um, so not coming from a science and engineering background, and that's indicative of many of the women who are on our, our FTSE companies and, and those in leadership are, are maybe in legal or HR or, um, or, the, or finance roles rather than coming from, I suppose, the science and engineering technology routes. So um, you can see Jan sitting there in that board of directors. She has, in fact, now, that's an out-of-date picture. There is one other woman on that board, but many of the boards do look like that, as we know. Um, on, on the right of my picture, that's Dr. Manfela Ramfeli, who's on a non-executive director from Anglo-American board. Interestingly, it seemed to me that the, the, quite a high number of the companies, it was mining companies that had a higher percentage of women in the top of the FTSE um, when I was just looking at that, that report. Uh, I mean, they, they, there are several women rather on those boards where others may only have one. Um, that's a picture with the penguins of Jane Francis, who's from the University of Leeds, so a core um, climate change researcher working in the Antarctic. And in the bottom is Julia Slingo, who was, uh, had set up a research centre on, uh, on climate change at the University of Reading and is now the chief scientist at the Met Office. So that gives you a sense that there are some women there, but not many. Um, oops. And yes, there you are. We can do it. It can be a bit more diverse, but it's a difficult 
it's a difficult challenge. So I think you, I hope you enjoy this conference and the, and the remainder of this time, and that um, it, there are some some key challenges ahead. And certainly, if if I had, I think, I mean, the messages for yourselves um, would be to engage in networking, find mentors. Um, but um, in terms of the, the, the wider solutions, I think we also need to be able to see more men engage in achieving the kind of work-life balance that's one of the key issues which does prevent women's advancement. So it's a very core solution and not, not at all just specific to this field. Thank you.